Welcome back to the basement, boys and girls. You're now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual. Um, excuse the stuffed up nose. Get a little sinus thing going on. Spring or summer has sprung here in Washington, D.C. And is uh, going around and just sort of kicking us all in the heads a little bit. Uh, got a really groovy podcast for you today. Uh, not just for what we're talking about, but also because it's a, uh, you know, the, the album we're talking about is actually uh, for a good cause. Uh, uh, a few years ago, some guys in, the, in a little band called The National started showing up at Bob Weir's studio, and uh, and one of the uh, deepest, darkest secrets of the indie rock world was revealed, was that all these guys, uh, or a lot of these guys, really uh, are really into The Grateful Dead. Uh, they said they were going to try to work on something back then. It took a couple years, but it has finally come to fruition. The, uh, the sprawling 59-track Day of the Dead uh, compilation is out now. It has, uh, y- y- I mean, you look at any, I guess, college radio charts, and any of those artists are going to be on here. This is this is a who's who of indie rock put together by uh, the guys in the National, um, and it's for the uh, Red Hot organization. The Red Hot organization got their start back in the '80s, I believe. Might have been a little sooner even, uh, but really, uh, the, their big push was for uh, age research. And treatment back then with a compilation called Red Hot and Blue. It was, in fact, one of the first uh, charitable uh, compilations. And ever since then, they have just been killing it. Um, they do albums. I believe they do concerts. Uh, all this for a uh, sort of amazing and, and unfortunately necessary cause. Uh, so, you know, this is going to be a long podcast. It's 59 tracks. Uh, we, we did not speak for as long as the album went. So you're, you're lucky for that. Uh, but we wanted to invite some friends over um, who uh, get a little debt expertise in here. So, you know, me and Eduardo are huge fans. Uh, another secret you might not know, you know, we love the dead. Uh, they are, a, to me, an integral part of, of the American music canon. Um, they are one of the most innovative artists, uh, one of the most influential. Um, simply by you know, virtue of the fact of, of the pure volume of the work that they did, the number of concerts and whatnot. Um, and Eduardo definitely is. Uh, we've been, you know, go over to his house, I'm sure he's got a bunch of tapes over there he could, he could play for you. Maybe converted to digital now. Uh, but his friend, um, Andres Restrepo, he invited over. Um, who is a, showed up with like four pages of notes, a massive dead fan. And, uh, <coughs> and, uh, Ryan Little, from right here in D.C. Uh, you might know him from Taru Taru. You might know him from uh, writing or working for the Washington Post a, lot, a ways back. What Writing for City Paper. Uh, also runs Bad Friend Records. Um, you know, uh, a little ways, ways back I said something about the dead. And he, we had a nice little conversation on Twitter. And I was like, oh, see? You know, people do love the dead that you wouldn't expect to. So uh, four of us got together, had a, had a good old time, and uh, put it on mic. So that's it. That's your podcast today. Uh, so if you're ready, if you have... Uh, you got your filled a lot. Um, Shakedown Street's closing. Um, I guess we'll go. So here it is. Number, episode number 188 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. But we're talking about the Red Hot compilation, Day of the Dead. Okay. It happens here. And it finishes here. Two men enter. One man. Nearly a two-word review. It just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the 
distracted by the notes. Uh, <laughs> like, um, yeah, I guess so. so uh, yeah, welcome back to the basement, Eduardo. You never leave. Always, always uh, here. Those 311 CDs shall be mine. Andre, it's nice to meet you. Hey. Uh, you are a friend of Eduardo. Uh, yes. Lawyer for Sierra Club as well. Correct. Um, welcome. Uh, we, we brought in some, some, I guess, dedicated... Dedicated. Ooh, I, heard, I heard the A in that. Yes. Uh, people. And uh, Ryan Little from, from Man Around Town. Uh, Bad Friends Records. Uh, Bad Friend Records, yeah. Uh, Bad Friend Records, Taru sure. Taru. Um, sure. Who, uh, you know, you reached out, or I, I reached out to you, but because it's a while back, and I forget what was going on there. It might have been the anniversary stuff. Yeah, it was and right I, before the anniversary And I posted stuff. something on Twitter, and you're like, you were the only person who responded. And I was like, well, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> like sweet. <laughs> like, this guy knows the dead, which is always exciting for me, because, um, you know, quick take on the dead. They, A lot of people, and I, I don't even know if this is questionable, but they, they may be one of the most influential like bands of the American canon, at least. They also, I mean, they, they've, in a large part, defined what American music is, whether or not they revisit it a lot. Um, and that goes from, you know, you have, like, Dill and the Dead tours. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it permeates. <laughs> a terrible era for both of them. It is. It is <laughs> a terrible era. But, but it, it has permeated, like, the people they worked with. It's just perme- permeated the uh, rock, uh, just all types of American music. For what forty fifty years now? Yeah, they. I mean, they launched an entire like sub genre of yeah. music, which is which we know without the dead, there's probably no real jam band scene, right? Yeah. So there's there's so it's their fault. There's like psych- <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We'll we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that yeah. mixed legacy. Um. So uh, now in twenty sixteen, uh, you know, the I guess they've influenced in the most unlikely of places the uh, Destner Brothers from the band The National. It's a huge indie hit of the past what five years. Maybe ten years they've been around. So uh, they've been around a while. Yeah. I, when did they start to do well? Maybe five years. ago? Alligator. Yeah, was, I guess was so. the album yeah. and stuff. Uh, apparently, uh, they were some huge Dead fans. You would know this actually, though. Um, Bobby <laughs> from the from the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Weir uh, has a studio out, and the name is escaping me right now, out in California. And he would have a lot of the people that are on this album. Uh, show up and it used to be a pay-per-view thing and, and you could just pay and watch this stream and you'd have these guys from the national drop in jam on china cat sunflower for like three hours cast mccombs is a big Cass, that. Yeah. uh jonathan wilson right, uh he was right. part of that i think israel nash has ended up like coming out there oh i could see that yeah, yeah. so it started this whole like weird thing like oh these and malcolmus indeed was out there mm-hmm. uh and and it started this whole weird like cross-pollination between indie rock which is the dominant like force now, I guess as far as blogs go, at least. Yeah, it's uh, in its, it's in its last throws. I think it <laughs> is. I think th- thankfully something like hip hop has taken the, over. The definition of that term indie rock is not entirely clear. Mm. <laughs> no, and this doesn't help clear it up. No. <laughs> um, uh, so they set off on a project uh, around that time um, to sort of honor their influences, honor their love of this band. What the result is is an album uh, called Day to Dead. It is 59 tracks long. It features, like, let's see, of War on Drugs, Jim James, Courtney Barnett, Mumford and Sons, which we can't bash. We, we, we're going to want to. They donated all the studio time for this. Um, wow. Thank, thank yeah. you, thank yeah. you, Mumford. So, so we can say the song sucks, and we well, will say that. Yeah. They're really, I mean, they seem like nice guys. They are, yeah. 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 Like, genuine, are, genuinely so. nice people. Uh, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes. <laughs> uh, Lucius Lone Bello, uh, Lone Bello 
uh, Anoni. Um, uh, basically, uh, who's who of like I guess who's big in the past two to three years. This is to benefit the Red Hot organization, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, basically raising money for AIDS treatment, AIDS research. They've been around since the eighties, I believe. I want to say late eighties. Might was have been. Of... Were they involved in the dedicated album back in the early nineties? That's a good question. I don't know. Or was that for the Rainforest? Oh, that was. I think. Things I think that was. I think that was the talking. Mickey Hart. Yeah, right. Not a facts based podcast. Did, I'm I, sure they did have some sort of yeah. album benefits at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know, when you have something this big, I mean, it's, the goal was twofold to raise money for this and also to introduce a crowd that maybe wouldn't know about this kind of music. Uh, we've been listening to it for, what, like uh, three weeks or so? Mm-hmm. I sent it to you. Uh, Ryan, you, you pretty much digested it. So what? Uh, I would say the I, maybe I'm more cynical about it, uh, but in terms of the goal being... I mean, obviously there is the positive goal, the, yes. the benefit goal, yes, yes. but I don't... You say introduce people who wouldn't know the dead. Yes, it seems more like they realize there's a perfect crossover between people who go to Coachella for like the hip new bands and people who go to festivals for the dead. And this is like the (laughs) most perfect (laughs) crossover co-branding operation that they could do. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think it's effective at that goal (laughs) too. Like I think, I think they really nailed it. Yeah. Um, Because yeah, it it is, there's a lot of, and we're going to get into the tracks here in a minute. There's a lot of, uh, unlikely voices, I think, on this, and some of them work, and some of them really, really fucking don't. Looking at you, <laughs> local natives, um, I, I guess. Uh, like Andres, let's start with you. You yeah. you have the biggest stack of notes here. Yeah, yeah. So so when uh, coming to this, like, what what were your expectations here? Um. Well, so to be perfectly honest, I'm. I don't want to say cynical, but I, I'm a little bit. I'm not a huge, huge fan of like hyper contemporary indie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, and I'm not like I don't have a policy against it. Uh, I definitely like some of it, um, but I've found that in terms of music currently being made now, I tend to go in a lot of different directions. Like some of some of which does kind of is classified as indie, but I like a lot more what might be called art pop or experimental pop, straight up experimental music, right. instrumental stuff, modern classical, a lot of doom metal. I think has been doing really well lately. Uh, but in terms of just straight up indie stuff, it's I, it's okay. It just doesn't really do a ton for me. Um, but so I came in with sort of you know a little bit not sure what to expect from this set. Um, but and also coming in as a very very big fan of the Dead, um, especially in the last few years. I mean, I almost I almost got like a virus a few years ago, which which was all <laughs> I wanted to listen to for about nine months. Seventy five percent of it was live Dead stuff. So. Right. So that's, it's that's it's kind of dark actually. It, it happens to be. Yeah, no, it, I was worried. I was really worried about myself for a while. I'm like, am I ever going to want to listen to something else? And luckily, I I am not. You know, I have moved on. You moved um, on to Humphreys McGee. No, <laughs> Ooh, right. no, oh, no, man, no. It's not. It's not a jam thing. It was a dead specific thing. Okay. Um, but you know, you talk. You and I just talked about that earlier. Like, you go through phases where that's all you want to listen to, mm-hmm. and then you don't for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I went into this sort of being uncertain about what I would think of the actual performances. And what I what I found was that I think a handful of them are really terrific, a handful of them are really not, are really terrible. <laughs> and then most of the rest of the stuff is kind of in between, sort of like a, a bell curve. Um, 
I think that's about the best you can hope of any tribute compilation, yeah. Yeah. honestly. <laughs> of, yeah. this, of this size, too. Yeah, I like mean, that's like actually kind yeah. of a huge compliment for, from any like individual listener, I would think. Yeah, point. no, and, and I think that the, I, I really like the idea behind this because um, I don't think that even 10 years ago, uh, let alone 15 or 20 years ago, you could have gotten the hip indie bands to want to put their, self, their names on a project related to the Grateful Dead. Um, so it really shows that there's a kind of an open-mindedness in terms of mm. influence and um, and inspiration now amongst the current crop of bands that maybe you didn't have 15 or 20 years ago. I remember when Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth, who appears on this set, you know, was saying in the 80s and 90s that he was a big Dead fan. It was almost like people were, you know, couldn't believe it. Right. And now it's sort of like, yeah, it's, you see so many uh, artists that, that are popular now in that scene on this set. So... I think that's that was my initial take and my expectations. It probably was about. I, I would I, did I like it more? I don't know that I necessarily enjoyed it more than I expected, but but I'm glad that it got made. And and some of the some there were some that really did surprise me with how much I liked them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I'm I'm very torn. Uh, first of all, I mean, it's 59 tracks. That's a fuck lot to listen to. <laughs> it's a lot. It's ambitious. <laughs> yes. It is, and um, I I do think like it it. Any product this size, in general, it tends to lose its focus unless it's a live set, and that's a whole other way of like digesting something. Um, and like, I'm torn between the the fact that people are going to hear this, and they might love a band that like you like you don't like the uh, Lucius take on Uncle John's band, right? I do. Okay, interesting. And I'm not a big fan yeah. of Lucius. Yeah, I, I don't like the Lucius take. You don't, you don't either. And yeah. which, Do I have which, to cast the tie-breaking vote now? Yeah, yeah sure. It's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. I did like though uh, so, Truckin, which was also right with Marijuana Death yeah. Squad. Yeah. And uh, to me, it is. It, I share the cynicism that you share, like Ryan, a little bit because mm-hmm. it, like it is perfectly targeted and perfectly picked. You know, we we have have. There's a lot of people that maybe were left off this album. Uh, some people maybe because they were too indie uh, well, or not I'm, indie enough. Hold on. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. Was this was this like openly marketed as being indie? Like, is there? I don't think it that, was open- that word like associated. I, I with don't it? think it was openly marketed to that. But I think you can run down the list of like like musicians on this. There's nobody, especially like. Say in their like thirties or forties, like mid career people, except Lucinda Williams, who's well, Bonnie right, Prince right. Billy's on well, here. Yeah, right. And, there, there are exceptions. Orchestra Baobab. I don't know that I would say is a yeah, do right. <laughs> but, and again, track, but the yeah. fact that it, it is here for people uh, who might not necessarily uh, or might be averse to the dead to listen to is sort of thrilling to me because you know this is stuff that I've had over forty years to like digest. Or to, I mean, uh, we know that like. The word indie is immediately associated with Bella Fleck. But, <laughs> yeah. So aside, aside from yeah. the grandfather well, that, of indie, yeah. Bella Fleck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, or, you know, and, and, and Orchestra Baumab. Everyone knows it started in Senegal yes, in the, right, yeah, in the yeah, mid-70s. Right. But, 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 but these are artists that get, I, I think... Uh, Post, um, you know, we live in a Bob Boylan era now, and that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God! So, <laughs> <laughs> damn it, I almost, almost got away with that. Um, yeah. So no, but 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 this is but when you look at the roster of artists <laughs> here, this is almost. I know. That's what I'm, I'm trying not. To, I'm trying not to do that. 
uh, this is almost perfectly engineered to get maximum coverage from the dominant, mm. you know, the dominant, the, the people who make decisions about what most people who are passive listeners will choose to listen I, it, to. I mean, right? I don't know if this needs to be stated or not, but NPR music actually has the most direct correlation to sales sure. of yeah. any publication. I believe it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and... That, I mean, which I, I'm not saying that as a positive or a negative, and and I I, I sounded like I was, I scoffed when you said uh, the Bob Boylan era, which is not an in, intended as an insult as to to Mr. Boylan. <laughs> it's it's just like it's yeah. it, it's so on the nose and true yeah. that it's like almost ridiculous um, in terms of like yes, it, we we live in this particular era where there is a certain eclecticism with boundaries. But like within those boundaries, With shrinking boundaries. Yeah. Well, I like, mean, as far as NPR so? goes, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. How? How? how I, so? Well, I, I feel like they they've uh, settled into their old age, and the, and their lawn is like this big, and it's getting a little smaller. <laughs> and that's why now, <laughs> right. speaking what, what, like, specifically of just the all songs considered mm-hmm. thing, because a lot of people don't pay attention to Mike Check or any of the other. They've had to branch out, and any music outside of this little zone is has to has its own podcast now. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, sweater, I mean, sweater vest music. Right? You, you know yeah. how you know yeah, if, it, it, if it's in that zone is if Paul Krugman uh, yeah. counts it on his blog. <laughs> yeah. Paul Krugman oh, is really proud of being an indie fan, but it's all almost, I think it's you the, probably learned about it from It's NPR. the safe homage. Yeah. 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 And, and Pigpen did wear sort of like that leather vest thing way before kids today started doing it. Right. <laughs> so. Um, so, no so, pig pen songs on Do them, people right. wear sweater vests still? I think that was like a moment in the 90s. Well, Rick, Rick like... Santorum, I think, put, put, put an end to that. Um, yeah. Although I did buy one like shortly after Rick Santorum because I just like wanted to. The oh, most man. indie thing you could do. We all, yeah, we all did. Still... Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? What, Rick? <laughs> you weren't going to let him take that away from no. you. <laughs> And it was not like an indie looking one. It was very straight, like right. something he would have worn, like green, Beautiful. just yes. like whatever. But anyway, I, I salute you, sir. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't worn it in a while. But I was, it was like a, you know, screw you, man. <laughs> I can wear it if I want. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, get us back on track. <laughs> yeah, I can't. We're uh, no, no, so, so Ryan, you know, you reviewed a book about the dead, and. Uh, you know that is a different take on the dead. I assume you like have delved in their music just to do that, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, as much as is possible for you know doing one book review, right? So you have a cursory knowledge, There's... but you don't, but you don't have like years and years of no. like, oh man, back in like '82, I was so spun out, and it was just like, I, I, I tried to get. <laughs> I, you know, I have some I have some dead li- loving friends that I, I try to get a couple recommendations from, nice. and the the internet is also rife with you know recommendations and and surpri- maybe not surprisingly but like there's uh to me a, a surprising like almost consensus on like what things are worth jumping into first and and are most yeah, there's worth a, there's a definite canon which of, and not yeah. but not only that it's like there are people who have you know their own favorite live era or live show but like they don't even seem to like argue that much about like what is like some of the best live shows is like there's like yeah. oh well i know that like th- such and such is the best live date kind of of all time like <laughs> objectively speaking but for me personally it's i like Barton Hall, right, by the way. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's it's always it starts, although, starts although with every, five eight everyone knows five nine seventy seven and yeah. five seven Buffalo, seventy seven are yeah. in boston are about as good yeah yeah well 77 was about the best year for rock music 
yeah. that ever happened, in my humble opinion. It's a so, great year. Yeah. Um, and, and I like plenty of contemporary stuff and plenty of stuff that happened way before then. But like in terms of like rock and roll, like that's '77 is like oh, got so it all. Well, you're you're so you must be getting the Talking Heads and that sort of stuff is what you're. I'm saying that's all it. yeah. I'm saying all Mark, like all Marky of it. Moon was like January of '78, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so, which means it was recorded in '77. Led I mean, Zeppelin, yeah. and <laughs> we had the Talking Heads, and we had Street Legal, Holy crap. Punk, punk Rock, yeah. like yeah. the. You know, yeah. like we the, yeah. the, the 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 cool stuff that happened in the eighties was starting in seventy seven. In the Venn diagram, it yeah. all like seventy seven. Like right no, no coincidence. We'll that's the year that of my birth. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I think that's coincidence. Do you have a death show on your birthday? <laughs> and Elvis died in seventy seven. Well, you're in December, too. so yeah. they, were, they were probably I don't for think, Christmas at that point. Yeah, I don't think there is there is a birthday show for me. I don't think. So, so besides but, the the light uh, cynicism, like, what do you think about a lot of these takes on on this stuff versus what you what you know? Maybe of? cynicism is even the wrong word. It's more just like knowing how things work in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, it's not like I don't. It's not like I think it's not good if it makes money or right, something. Right, right. You know, it's just like yeah, yeah. I can well, tell. I can tell how this was pitched mm-hmm. and and how it is like very smartly marketed and why it works. And sometimes that's an important thing to make that people don't think about. It's yeah. an important like thing to point out, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes yeah. it just doesn't matter. I mean. I, I think it's worth noting just in the sense that it's like not m- magical that it's going to work. Yeah. It's not <laughs> It's not just, just say... the power of the songwriting. I mean, that is part of it, but it's not like the songs are just so good that even though it was a dead tribute album, it like really, it, it seems like, no, this is actually like the perfect timing and the perfect yeah. crossover audience hmm. to where I, it had a, has a very, very strong chance of do, being you know, embraced. Yeah. Well, let me just say, I mean, if this is all, if all the profits are going to charity, then, then not only is it not, is there nothing wrong with it making money? It's, it's an affirmative good, I would say. Yeah, sure. So I think you're right. And and it's, it's very perceptive that this, this is the sort of thing I can actually see these sort of obsessive dead fans who don't even, you know, listen to this stuff normally actually buying this. Um, You find with really, it's long enough. It, yes, yeah. Well, yeah. not the individual songs, though, which is right. something we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of odd. Um, but, you know, I, for instance, I remember uh, some years ago, I, I'm a big XTC fan. And XTC, Get out. Yeah. <laughs> and XTC fans are famously rabid, because, you know. Yeah. And, and Mandy Moore did Senses Working Overtime on one of her, her albums. And did these she really? XTC, Yeah. Wow. And these XTC fans were actually going and buying the Mandy Moore album because they wanted to hear the cover of it. So wow. I could see dead fans doing the same thing with this. So I think you're absolutely right. It gets that set and it gets the indie set at the mm. same time. Well, it's got actual members of the dead, too. Yeah. yeah well, so, uh, just Phil. I th- or, uh, I'm sorry, Bob. Bob, I think. Bob yeah. 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 Uh, And Bruce. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bruce. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Of course. Bruce of course. was never an official member, but we'll right. give it to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, that's I don't know how you I'm may, splitting I mean, hairs. Split yeah. let's, let's actually take a break and hear a song. And let's hear that song that Bruce did because uh, Phil Cook, who's been on this podcast, was down oh, yeah. here and told me that he was on this recording and he got to meet with like his musical hero, which was Bruce Hornsby and how that came about. So, so uh, let's hear uh, a little bit of their take on uh, Black Muddy River and then come back to this.
When the last rose of summer pricks my fingers And the hot sun chills me to the bone When I can't hear the song for the singer And I can't tell my pillow from a stone from a stone from a stone So, so Black Money River, that's one of the more uh, faithful uh, mm-hmm. things, and uh, it might have offended Ryan's sensibilities a little bit. <laughs> I, don't okay. wanna, I don't want to go too far in, no, 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 in no, hating on We were on talking Bruce. about this, the Hornsby effect, you know, but how are you going to have an album about the dead like this without Hornsby? No, I it? think he's absolutely, I, yeah. I have no no argument at all with them, including that mm-hmm. track. I think that they should have. I think it would have been sort of rude if they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to like it very much. Uh, yeah, you know, I think his vocal delivery is actually pretty nice on it, and I, I think the general arrangement is nice. It's just he he likes those sort of synthetic strings that like yes. underlie everything, and that that just sort of if it was him, that's the sweet sound of the range, son. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, if it was him and an and just an actual piano, yeah, I think I would have really. Yeah. Liked yeah. that song, but the, uh, he loves well, the sort of Justin Vernon is in there, so maybe that's his right. his deal. Well, True. The, the uh, Dead I mean, had a guy Bob Braylove was his name, whose job one hundred percent was to add like fake strings and horns onto the keyboard patches. Yeah, and then blame Vince Wellnick for doing right. it. Wow, <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. But, 
Um, but that's but that so the way that song plays is exactly if I just said to you Grateful Dead tribute album, like that's what you would expect yeah. to hear. And there's a lot on here like yeah. that. What you would not, not expect lot, to hear but... is is like Lucius, like we talked about, the marijuana death squad version of trucking. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a song that most of us, I assume, skip when it's when, if you're listening to a live show. Like, I don't remember the last time I listened to Trucking all the way through. Well, I, I think it's immoral to skip tracks in any context. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with um, you, man. Holy, I, holy crap! Yeah. yeah, but I don't. I don't. What if it's, what if it's, what if it's a short drive? I do not drive? think it's immoral <laughs> I still, at still. all. Yeah, goddamn it! It's a short drive, yeah. and you don't want. I don't want to no, sacrifice eight minutes to trucking. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I don't love trucking either, but. Um, I actually did like this version of Truckin' because it was yeah, yeah. so weird. It's, it's so out there. So out there. Um, yeah. Another one, Estimated Profit, was pretty uh, yeah. was pretty different. Um, the orchestra, Bow Bow, at Franklin's Tower, I actually think, I couldn't tell if they just literally took a song from Orchestra Bow Bob that sort of had some chord changes that were similar, and then like just, just called it Franklin's Tower. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that little thing because you know, dead shows and uh, obviously more so than albums are sort of structured to get like peaks. And I don't know if you can get a peak in a '59. So, I mean, imagine if they did a yeah. show with this, right? So, that would be Fish 2000, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this is not a this is nothing analogous to a but dead at show. At that point in the album, and I forget, this is divided into I think three or four versions. You were saying it was like Lightning. <laughs> Thunder and something lightning revisited. Yeah, although if you didn't know that, just listening to it, you wouldn't really. You wouldn't get the, wouldn't, the, yeah. the folks. Set, except I think for this run, which is always a good run uh, in their live sets, Eyes of the World help on the way to Franklin's yeah. Tower. And for this, you have uh, Tau National, uh, Bale Fleck, and or- Orchestra Bale Bobble, we were talking about. That is. I love that run. I think that, that run of three songs is. It's, it's a. Yeah, I mean it's a perfect run of three songs yeah. if you're if you're listening to it. It's a it's a I hate to say they made summer music with that, but that's that's <laughs> no, what you do. hear in the summer. But having it done this way and and representing these three different like very different versions of it is uh, for me at least the highlight of the album, the complete highlight of this set. I I love when Bella Fleck interprets other people's music. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I don't have. I maybe have one Bella Fleck record that is not good. Um, there's like a live Flecktones record that is not good. But I've seen L- live art. Live art is good. Uh, is that the triple <laughs> the triple stomping disc? ground? No, it's, a, it's a double disc. But uh, the, but the I, second disc is garbage. The, the first, first one disc is, is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and, anyway, in, in any case, I I've, I saw the Flecktones once or twice, and I've seen I saw Bella Fleck when he was touring with an acoustic trio that yeah. was absolutely yeah. fantastic, and had the good fortune that night of. Um, uh, Nickel Creek happened to have played in the same town. So for the encore, Chris Thiele and uh, the bass player of Nickel Creek, I can't think of his name. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, they Sean Watkins. Yes. They, so they, they came up and joined the oh. acoustic trio of with awesome. Bella Fleck. And it was, you know, it was wonderful. Um, and, and I've seen, you know, Bella do some of the classical stuff that he's done. Yeah. And he his range is, you know, absurd. But I... When he has another person's song to like focusedly uh, translate, I think that's like some of his best moments because he doesn't just like go out into the stratosphere and yeah, yeah. And, lose, and it's such a technically it. challenging song too. I think we were saying the other night, Andres, that he might have been the only person on this who could have pulled off um, just the sort of the all the naughty rhythms of right. that right and he and he reproduces it really faithfully and i think nails it well that, that and you know when you you mentioned chris chris Thiele, 
he's a, an interesting example that's a counterpoint to so much of what is on this album or on this this compilation because Which, where where's Chris Thiele on this? Yeah, album? that's a good yeah, question. Yeah, right. I, Shouldn't I the Punch loved, Brothers have a track? Yeah, yeah, right. And 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 I wonder so much of what's on here. Um, I, I almost feel like the the bands or the artists are scared of their instruments in a sense. They're not really scared of them, but they're using them in a way. They're the guitars and the keyboards and, and the bass playing and, and really everything more, that's more towards getting kind of a general color or a timbre or um, a tone. And that's that's kind of what indie rock these days is all about. And, and there's a lot of great things about that. You know, that's that's a really important part of music. Um, but you don't hear very many people that can actually sort of really play their instruments in a way that allows for improvisation that's really interesting or musical conversation between instrumentalists or or exploration. Um, you know, there are a couple of jams. Stephen Malcolmus and the Chicks do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which that China, track China sounds Rider. exactly like what I thought that track would sound <laughs> yeah. like. And yeah. that's fine. They, they, yeah, they, like, they so nail that, yeah. that 72 sounds. Like, right. you're it's a Malcolmus just... fan? This is what yeah. you want. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this, oh, yeah. shit. Like, yeah. um, playing in the band has an interesting, almost yeah. Krautrock-inspired jam. Yeah. And but, I wanted to hear Donna. Like, that's how good that version oh, is. It's like, whoa, whoa. It's like, but like, But like, when it comes back, I'm like, where's, like, there should be Donna yeah. here, right? Now. Someone should be playing Donna. I have been known to defend Donna. In, yeah. in my time, especially this post is taking hiatus. a turn for the worst. Sir. Post hiatus, Donna. I mean, can we all agree that in '77 she was singing well? Yeah. Um, um, it's baseball player rules. So, like, if she was batting 300, then that was really good. Okay, and right, was, right. The Mendoza <laughs> so, line. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, I just, I really would have loved to have heard more actual engaging engagement with the instruments. People inspired by the way the dead yeah. played, yes. as opposed to just the songs. Which, which I think wrote. those three songs do, which is, is sort of what I'm what I'm moving to next. That that difference, that dichotomy on this album between people that are engaging in how they play the thing, more traditional stuff to the more out there stuff. Uh, you know, we could Well you get you get Warfrat with Ira Kaplan. Yeah. Yeah. I well mean, he does except he doesn't really he doesn't really do that much I mean it's ten minutes long. He does I didn't really think he did that much instrumentally. Um and I, I, one of the things I felt was that I just don't think he pulls off the the emotional heft that that vocal requires. He kind of did his mumbly Ira thing, which you know works for a lot of his own music, but it, it didn't really take off for me. But you need sad, like junky Jerry Garcia singing that song, basically. Like, and that's, and <laughs> well, I, say, I say that. I with, weirdly with, thought Stephen Malcolm has kind of nailed the vocals. Yeah, there's, um, there's, yeah. A, there's a lot of weird points on this album where people hit it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, because like, so I know you didn't like the War on Drugs. Tr- Track. Yeah, well, but, I I did a flip on it. Well, I, <laughs> no, I, I I don't like it. I I like the War on Drugs output now. I did, mm-hmm. and I've always liked them. And I'm not a big fan of the Kurt Vile stuff now. Okay. Um, and on this album, I found the War on Drugs track on this kind of insipid, partially because I've seen it live, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just sort of like, okay, I get it. You know, you like it doesn't fit in your set and whatever. But the Kurt Vile thing here is. One of the more, and I'm going to lump them into the group of people that are honoring the dead tradition more in the style of the dead. Mm-hmm. It works for me a lot better. Interesting. I thought, see, I thought I loved the War on Drugs uh, track instrumentally. Mm-hmm. I thought they like just sure. really nailed it. But it's almost like Adam Granducio like tried too hard to to like change his style, he yeah. didn't sound natural. His vocals just didn't sound right to me, and they didn't sound like it. it it's like he was trying to sound more like the Dead, but he'd missed. Yeah, 
I don't know. Like, cause I, if he had sang it more just like he normally sings, I think it would have been fine for me. But um, when, when I heard Stephen Malcolmus do his thing, I was like, oh, see, that's how you, you can emulate the dead more and still sound like yourself is you, you just like sound, I don't know, like fucked up a little it, bit. It, just if, a little. If, if you ever have read anything about Garcia and, and the band themselves, they, their theory was like, well, we're just going to have fun. Mm-hmm. That's their whole thing, and I, and I think somebody like Malcolmus has figured out over the years, and I see it more successful across this album, this collection of people that y- y- you can tell in their own material that you can have fun. Yeah, like I've, anything Stephen Malcolmus puts out is you're going to pay attention to, and you should pay attention to, <laughs> whether or not it's good or bad. Right, like because right, right. the guy it's always is, good. just has <laughs> yeah, he he's plugged into that live wire of just like all right, here we go. Well, it's it really puts to me into into stark contrast, '90s indie versus what's going on now, because the '90s indie people, you know, Malcolmus, Lee Ronaldo, there's a few of them on this set. I, I think Bonnie Prince Billy, I would put him in that category too. Yeah, they they are a lot. They sound to me um, like they're having fun more. First of all. Mm-hmm. But they're also a little bit less, as I said, afraid to play their instruments, and they don't they don't do as much kind of layering with that. It's not as much focus on texture and timbre, um, and and you know those things have their benefits and drawbacks. I think the the '90s guys work better on this set, though. I think the Bonnie Prince Billy stuff to me was deeply affecting and really well done. What about Courtney Barnett? Uh, that didn't really do a lot for me, honestly. It, it's huh. it a lot. Courtney Barnett along with like the war on drugs and Kurt Vile and a lot of the other stuff, it kind of had this sound to me that's, that was this similar to a lot of the other stuff on the, on the compilation, which was kind of this spacey echoey country rock type of thing. Um, so I don't hear any connection between the sound of the war on drugs and Courtney Barnett. I, I mean, <laughs> I have zero connection between those two. It, it's, I'm not necessarily saying they sound the same. It just, it, it was kind of like this just it seemed to come from a similar place and and i i don't mean to criticize it too much because i think that they were competent all most of the stuff on here was quite competent mm-hmm. and there was a lot of thought put into things like arrangements and yeah no i'm know, just trying to yeah. understand what similarity what is, i don't even i don't even know what similarity or what cuz like you were just saying the layers thing yeah, yeah. totally the war on drugs that's yeah. their thing is they layer a lot of stuff courtney barnett is a, a power trio yeah it's a it's, it's I think her version of the song. I mean, I mean, it might, it might, it might have felt a little flat, but I think it's an, it's an honest, straight at like, um, it's there's no, there's no like subterfuge with her version of the song. Like she's right. not trying to do anything other than what's in there originally. Um, yeah, what I wrote in my notes was that songs feels like it's doing nothing and going nowhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, that's 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 harsh, man. <laughs> yeah, I did. You know, I, poor Courtney. I, I think that I was taking a little bit more of a critical eye to some of this stuff than I would have otherwise. I don't really like this dead song that much to begin with. Well, um, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so it could. I admit it could have been that. And you know, I think she did this on like Fallon or just recently. Yeah, yeah, she did oh, the other day. And I, I oh. actually think that's cool that she's not just ma- putting this as a song. You know, on this compilation, but is actually just like phone it in from Australia, be like, "Hey, you <laughs> right. want me to sing what?" Okay, yeah. yeah no, I right. think I think that part of what's coming, from what I'm saying mm-hmm. here, might just be what I have to admit is a little bit of a bias against a lot of contemporary indie stuff, which is that it. Is it she, do we have to use the word indie when we talk about Courtney Barnett? Like, she's just like yeah. a rock fan. That, well, <laughs> she, she goes on tour with 
like who's who's she last hmm. go on tour with? There's like Tom Petty or something. Like she's gone Did on she? some well, she's gone yeah. on some really big tours and yeah. Okay, yeah, then yeah. it could be revealing my own ignorance. And well, she I, I, like I think I think we can use the term indie as far as how she is marketed, and she definitely was marketed as indie. Sure, whether or not sure, she is or that's not, but because there's not another word for just right. not yet famous for rock. rock. Right. I mean, right? yeah, and, and, and we're evolving into that. I, mean, I don't I know if we are or if we're just like turning more like taking the more British approach to the word indie, which is anything that's like not a boy band on the radio is indie. <laughs> right yeah. well it's yeah i think that's a good point actually like i mean the arcade fire is and some of the members are on this and they're considered indie but they sell a million copies or five hundred thousand yeah. yeah. copies they're, and they're on a major label yeah, yeah so but they're considered to be an indie band because that's the scene they came out of so yeah. i yeah I, I guess what i what i mean when i use the word indies i just mean a lot of the really contemporary bands that are the kind that would be represented on this compilation and i and i i'm also trying to make sure that I don't have too much of a bias against it. And, and I'm trying to internally push back in that direction because I realize that there are things that they do really well and things that, you know, that someone like Malcolmus probably doesn't think about as much. Um, but I think, I think when really what it comes down to is you're, you're right. Malcolmus sounds like he's having more fun and that's kind of more in the spirit of what the deads, at least their live performances mm -hmm. are. Yeah. Well, where this doesn't work, it, it reminded me a bit of that Dylan, um, I'm not there. Right, which was which yeah. I thought was really flat, right? And everyone approached the songs on that as if they were just, like just, scared just of the, the source material. Though. The movie is phenomenal. Yeah, no, no, no. The, the movie, the movie is lovely. Yeah, but, I the, agree. but the but the soundtrack, I think, you know, the first on you know the first several listens, you just keep thinking like, when is someone going to sound like they're a demented prophet from the future, sure, sure. Yeah. like circa you know seventies Dylan, and and it just never happens because they're also afraid of the source material that is they that, don't know that how to touch. It is just fear of it. Uh, it's it's either that or or can, I mean can we blame the national they've they've got we've gotten we've gotten pretty far in this <laughs> I, I will, I will <laughs> happily blame the national well you know I now. actually don't I actually give credit I think a lot of these bands were trying to do different things and some of them really did that's why I liked you know the um the version of uh what was it Uncle John or not Uncle John's band the other one um the marijuana marijuana desk squad yeah, 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 yeah marijuana yeah, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. I like yeah. trucking. And why I liked, um, you know, I liked Estimated Profit, too, because it was, they were really trying, and Althea, to be frank, it's, Althea was, Althea's really nice. Yeah, well, Ed, why don't you, I know you like that one a lot. Well, yeah, so it has, it has this great, like, kind of dark R&B kind of feel to it, and that's one of those songs that I, it's, it's, it's a minor Grateful Dead song. I don't think anyone ever went to see the dead thinking, I hope they play Althea, but it's just one of those great straight ahead Jerry songs that, um, the version on Without a Net is probably, like, you know, I don't know. I'll play that at my like, you know, memorial service or something. Yeah. Um, it'll be on my playlist. I've played but... it in many a cover bands. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I, I actually don't think that the problem was that the bands were too scared to break out. I think that they were self conscious of it though, and sometimes they added elements that were not necessary. Like for instance, broke down palace. Um, they clearly put a lot mm -hmm. of thought into it, and they did a lot of, with the arrangement, and, yeah. and it was partially successful. But they also d sort of changed some chords and they did some things with like having like a pedal tone throughout the verse. And I, I wonder though if that could be the term partially successful could be used to describe the uh, the efficacy of the Grateful Dead songwriting in general, because you have these people who are steeped and and freaks for all kinds of music, 
working with these poets and working with all these people in California. But man, when it didn't hit, it didn't hit. <laughs> <laughs> like standing on the moon, it does not hit. I don't care who fucking does well, that who song. Who chooses to cover that? Like what? Who is honestly like very like, good on this album? You know, but I just I just assume they drew the short stick or something. I like it was that like, song. well, someone's no, got to yeah, do. But, I'll, I'll stand up for standing but, on the moon. You know, but you know, the, and that was in the eighties, and that yeah, that was yeah. a very like uh, you know we're getting them on Live Aid and doing stuff like that. I think it was for Live Aid. So that. But but the reason that song sticks out is like so there's no black throated wind there's no West L A fade away there's no lost sailor saint of circumstance Wait, no, are you, are you naming no songs that people are supposed to hate is that what this is God damn it I lose this round clearly <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with I mean some of those black throated wind it's an alright song I, look I love Tennessee Jed that's one of my yeah. favorite Grateful Dead songs yeah. and you I remember mm. you saying one time you thought that it's not a very well loved song but to me it is so so. You know, Althea had the the guy from Mumford and Sons yeah. on it. Oh, really? I thought you were bashing them let earlier. The, let let the record show. Now. I inadvertently praised. We, we talked a little bit about Mumford down here. In fact, uh, Louis Weeks was down here, and he he it was his first time. It's one of his first interviews he ever, ever did with anybody. And we were talking about people who make music and how music can work. Just mm-hmm. taking be a science. And talking about Mumford and Sons, and he's like, "Oh, I don't want to feel like I threw shade on anybody." And I was like, "No, dude. Like, look." I actually I will stand up for their first album as a as a piece of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Not I will never argue like, hey, this is the future of music. But as a piece it of entertainment, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it you was. would have been correct. I wonder. See, and this argued is, that at this time. is why I'm not a rich man. <laughs> yeah. well, I wonder like, if I wonder if Mumford and Sons exist in what I call the Aerosmith trough. Which, <laughs> so because here's where, yeah. so once I was at um, Academy Records in Brooklyn, you know, which is one of the hippest record stores in the country, and I was trying to think, what is the lamest thing I could buy if I were to find it here? And I was thinking, if I found an, a vinyl copy of Aerosmith's Get a Grip, and I went to the <laughs> counter and bought it, wow. that would be probably the uncoolest thing because you know it would actually be cooler if I were to find some like you know, I don't know what like the Doobie Brothers Dude. or. Or, or some. Do, do you want to take that CD with you when you leave? We can get <laughs> I have, no, I, I actually I have it. Get a grip at my home. Okay. That, it's an important <laughs> album for my musical development. But Aerosmith, they're not. They're not. You know how some stuff when it gets really mainstream, like it yeah. kind of becomes cool. And it, it, Aerosmith is in the perfect bottom. They're the perfect trough of this of lameness, kind of. And I, I stand by Aerosmith. Except, I think. It, well, except for like they have some. It, it, I don't know if it's just nostalgia value for me, but the '90s music videos, yeah, yeah. well, like those yeah. were some top-notch music right. videos. Crying. Oh right. my yeah. god! Yeah. So I thought That's... if they had included Aerosmith on this compilation, then they really <laughs> that that would have been ballsy. <laughs> so because that, so so well, he uh, Stephen Tyler is doing country music now. Oh, I heard that. Yeah, I heard yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, you know, like look, I certainly do not defend most Latter-day Aerosmith, but I but I just use them as an example. They did do some great stuff in the '70s. So you think. Mumford is like that. I wonder that if Mumford just... and Sons, at least for for people like us, doesn't kind of exist in a bit of an Aerosmith. Trough. Well, well, you definitely no, get no I, kind of cred from. I, I will throw shade on them. I, yeah. I I think they just became terrible songwriters in the face of being able to sell out like massive stadiums. And because if you listen to, I don't even know how many albums they have after that first one, but they're they're both they're, I think they're, they've only put out three albums. Is it three albums? I think. Yeah, the the other two are just are are terrible songs. That are basically aping the tropes that they themselves were aping in the first place. Well, that was their second record, was that? But then the third one is like their Coldplay record. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. They abandoned their. They tried to make a big change, and it right. was just like, 
Right. Does so, it have auto tune so, and stuff? So on? No, it's their... just like they abandoned all their acoustic instruments and yeah. went all electric yeah, yeah. and okay. made a rock record. And it's just like a, a rock in quotes record. Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's like okay, this is kind of a generic rock record though. Like yeah. I see like like for them, they're like, you know what? Like we're gonna go on a totally different. Oh, so, this is it's like the they analogize themselves as Dylan goes electric at yeah, Newport yeah, sixty five. Yeah. That's yeah. what they're like, and and I can totally see how in like internally as a band it, it probably was that for them. It was like radically mm-hmm. different, but the end result was just not anything notable. And, and, and I'll, I'll use Daria's analogy here with Mumford and Sons for anybody because like I really don't hate on many artists like you're very few but like at the end of the day who's sleeping on the uh, mountain of panties of money and well, it's Mumford yeah. and Sons like they figured out what every musician wants to be able to do is to make a living making well they, music. they got really lucky yes they did I mean yeah. their first record it's not like they were it's not like they're like they were right, the, the, the the you know we're going to fill this perfect market niche where someone named <laughs> Mumford and Sons yeah. is totally going to sell to the kids and we're going to play banjos and like at the you know at, when that record came out the the like that wasn't quite a thing yet you know like the the banjos and and the mandolins being used in pop music it, it, right. it, and so it, it it's it's not like it was a crass <sighs> marketing and decision you, that created right, them and it if was you want to and, and and like you know when that came out Literally, I was like, "Oh, that's a cute frightened rabbit like imitation." Right, right. But you know, they uh, they were Laura Marling's like backup band. It's not like they yeah. came out of nowhere. But I mean, if you believe in anything like the universal flow of the universe or whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that that we said it up front that they donated all the studio, every yeah. bit of studio time for this record was donated by Mumford and Sons. If that's the reason they exist. For something like this to be out for, as a charity project, like their it, existence I'm, will I, not have been in vain. Yeah, it's, I, it's I, not I mean, in vain. I have zero problem with them as people. I don't think they've oh, yeah. done anything like bad. I think no, they, no, I think just, they've just like pursued the things that they were interested like, in they, and got people in, like yeah. insanely lucky. Yeah. They've just like, set the banjo back by a couple of decades, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll recover. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, there's there's still other banjo players. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Banjo still exists. It's still fine. Well, what do we think of their friend of the devil? It's terrible. Yeah, yeah that's I, not I, good. I have no yeah, saying no. that. And, I think and they clearly got dibs on that, right? They were clearly like, we're gonna. This is the song we're gonna play, and everyone yeah. else has to it, deal with it. It's overwrought. It, it yeah. juices all the fun out of it. It it you know that that's a uh, that's one of those unique tunes that like, you've heard it too much. Everybody's heard it too much, right. but it's just so you have to do. With it, like uh, essentially what Marijuana Death Squad did with trucking, which is to basically take a song that has been so cliched to death and tear it apart and make it weird. And Mumford did not. Yeah, what I said about this was I said, uh, if you're going to take an American outlaw, an outlaw Americana tune, you better, if you're going to turn it into a dream pop mini epic with double track vocals and M83 synths, you better have a good reason. Mumford doesn't. <laughs> what is this? Owl City? Oh, <laughs> shit. I mean, they probably like Owl City. So, yeah. like, that's yeah. probably so like, not yeah, even yeah, an sweet. insult. Thanks, to Andres. Them. <laughs> I, well, wanna... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, I agree. I'm on the same page. Yeah, like, I don't, yeah. I don't like it. I don't, it, I don't but... even want to throw shade on Owl City. Just say I don't want to hear Owl City doing Friend of the Devil. Right, right. I'll, I... I'll throw shade on Owl City, but that's fine. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, they... I, 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 I want to play another track now. I want to play a track where I think it does get a little weird just because of who's doing it, and it's good. And that's the uh, Charles Bradley 
yeah. Main Street Band, uh, Cumberland Blues, which is a song that, like, uh, it's not a song oh, yeah. that I'll actually, like, yeah, this it comes is... on. I'm like, I don't yep. skip it because it's morally wrong, Eduardo. <laughs> Sorry. But, uh, but I won't play it. So uh, there's Cumberland Blues by uh, the, the Golden Screaming Eagle, Charles Bradley. Cumberland Blues, Charles Bradley. That that is uh, another like for me standout track of of the got outside the box of what like everybody was sure. doing on here more so. Um, and I don't know if there's any other tracks on this like quite like that. What what I as a whole what I see this as uh, this album divided into is is a, a tale of two dark stars. <laughs> and, I, and I think so. You've got. Cass McCombs and friends, who's been like an avowed deadhead, uh, hangs out with Bob Weir. Yep, um, terrific songwriter. In his terrific own songwriter. Um, his version of Dark Star with Joe Russo, who uh, played in like almost the, the, he's played in the Dead. Friend of my brother's. Yeah, um, used to sleep on our couch when they were in town. Nice, <laughs> back in Richmond. Um, and uh, then you've got the Flaming Lips, Dark Star. Oh, is Joe Russo yeah. married to? Like one of the members of Dark Star, or is he, or what is the deal with him? Is he in Dark Star? He he's in J Rad, which is Joe Russo's almost yeah, dead, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he and he's oh. he, he's actually under contract for Phil. To I be know it is. So I, I also know someone who's yeah. like went to his wedding or something. Oh, okay, yeah. So if we start to wind this down. What, um, given those two different takes on on a classic, uh, if you will, I mean, I I don't know a time when you would actually ever sit down and listen to Dark Star. Can we, can we be honest here? Are you saying you skip songs, Kevin? No, I'm saying I might leave the room. I never hit the forward button. Oh, no, I I, I don't get that at all. Of course, hmm. I would totally listen to Dark Star. I do all the time. Okay. Depends on sort of what version of it. But you, you, you clearly were not traumatized by the memory of like three dudes in a basement playing Dark Star in, you know, central Ohio circa 1996. No, I was not. <laughs> I was not. So, so like... Given that these are two sides of the album, uh, and, and very broad speaking, like which side of this works best for guiding people towards this thing? And, and because that's why we're talking about it, we're like, you know, people should hear about this album. They already have clearly. It probably but, depends on what people you're talking about. Yeah. Well, and and that, and that and that's what I want to know. Can this? Does any of this on this album to you, Ryan, seem to work as? Uh, a little more transformative that like if you are just if you're just gonna listen to the flaming lips that you might hear something in this more traditional stuff that may be like oh yeah maybe i get it well is dark star a traditional thing you mean like if you're just getting the album for i think flaming it takes lips, on it. i think it takes on it because dark star you could get into a little like the weirder uh like indie in quotes psychedelia stuff these days mm-hmm. you know it's very uh it, it, it as far out as that song goes it's a very traditional sounding rock song 
Wait, really? What? Sonically. I, I don't even know if that's true. Do you, know? but... Do you mean on the album or just in general? I think in general. Mm. I mean, some of the 72, 74 Dark Stars get pretty out there. Yeah, okay. I think it's like one of the, like, it can be a pretty radical song. Like, yeah. still, like if someone were to play. Oh, no, like... no, no, no. It's, it, it's a completely radical song, but as far as the instrumentation, like, like on this album... Uh, you have Cass McCombs when they do it it is more like the dead do it their instrumentation yeah. and stuff whereas the I Flaming Lips dress it up and yeah. it's all like well, crazy that's, that's what the Flaming Lips do right. um, and more so even now than they used to I think mm-hmm. uh, so I mean I don't if you're if you're someone who's like super stoked about that like uh, Miley Cyrus Flaming Lips collab <laughs> yeah then you come to this and you hear the Flaming Lips take on Dark Star and you're like, oh, like maybe I'll listen to some Grateful Dead. I don't know, I don't know how much that person would end up enjoying. Yeah, they're not going to get. They're not going to get that EDM ness out of. <laughs> out are of the are dead. they going to dig further into the into this album? Uh, this album, sure, because there's more like names. Mm-hmm. At least. Are there really people who came to the Flaming Lips through Miley Cyrus though? I'm sure there yeah. are. There are, well, of okay. course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're all twenty years younger than us, and they actually like further pursued that into. Yeah. Well, okay. there's enough <laughs> Flaming Lips pop songs yeah, that yeah. you that you can do that. Yeah, um, no, true. You know, you can get and and like we're not in an al- like an albumy era, so right. in as just, in as you, much as kids today still buy music, you some you just oh, go on yeah. YouTube and you listen to Yoshimi. Yeah, and right. you're like, oh, this right. band's pretty cool. Yeah, um, no, you're probably right. And about I'm that. not, and I'm not trying to even say that in like a. Like they're not even really listening to the flame. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I don't right. even think that. I just mean like I think that is one way someone yeah. might approach. Okay. After hearing after hearing the Miley Cyrus collab, if they were interested enough to follow Miley Cyrus to a Flaming Lips collab, then they yeah. have some degree of curiosity. Yeah. And so they maybe would pursue that more. Maybe they'd end up listening to this new thing that um and maybe something else on here would appeal to them, but. It's not a very spacey album, like right. the compilation album. It doesn't have a lot I do of... Keep, some of it is. Well, yeah, and, and but but I am wondering about where people... So so I'm trying to imagine like a hypothetical 22-year-old who's never really listened to The Dead, but who likes all these bands mm-hmm. and picks this up and thinks, okay, I, now where do I go, right? Because, the, because, because this album is studio dead, basically. And, and, so. and also, if you dive into this 59 tracks, you're committing... Yeah, to right. Like, well, right. I don't know that. I don't know that anyone's. I don't know that most people are going to listen to all fifty nine. Well, yeah, if you aren't, but if, if you are the ones that are, like, then I, you're probably over forty. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, right. that's that's sort of that's sort of my point. Yeah. It's yeah. because is is because you know a lot of this I, I think on their part was to like raise awareness of the songs, okay. and I, and I think this will continue to happen over the years. So if you picked this up for the flaming lips thing, and then you stumbled on maybe the Ed Drost. Uh, a loser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could dig that. Like yeah. it's yeah. not. It's not like super out there. But there's a certain. Like, it sounds contemporary, and it and it sounds. Um, and yeah. and that's a weird case of like all their work on that sounds more traditional dead than like Grizzly Bear per se. Right. Which, yeah. Right. I, which I was shocked by because like I I like Grizzly Bear. I just don't like listen to them a lot. They're fine. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, it was one of those surprises. I was like I never would have expected that. From them, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I've always loved Ed Dross's voice, and yeah. and this, they let the song be the song and mm-hmm. focus on his voice, and I was like, that's really nice. Yeah, to hear. I, I actually, Grizzly Bear, you know, I might have been sort of 
talking down a lot of the modern bands, but Grizzly Bear is one of the ones that I really do like. Um, yeah. And well, I, if you like Steely Dan, then Grizzly <laughs> I do I'm like not Steely Dan. No, I, mean, I do. Like, I do like really? Steely Dan. I, I don't hear the connection, Dan. but I do oh. like both of them. I, I, I just think that some some people don't like Grizzly Bear because one person described it to me as like uh, like there's no there, there's all sorts of wild scaffolding and then nothing really inside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that and I think some people feel the same way about Steely Dan. It's mm. a good. That's a good. Yeah. Like that's a good description. But I, I just have never gotten anything remotely Steely Dan off of Grizzly Bear. And I, I love I love Steely Dan. Yeah, they did have. Uh, M- Michael uh, McDonald. Yeah, McDonald. Do a they did a B side oh, of shit. of cheerleader where Michael McDonald sang well, it. He was never in. He was never actually in. Steel. I know. He's right, 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 yeah. Yeah. He's he sings back. Yeah. Well, they actually they they wanted him to be their lead singer. Well, he's been on record. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. There's yeah, yeah, a there's okay. like an actual connection yeah. there yeah. to Steel. So I thought that the Grizzly Bear stuff on this was quite well done. And you know, if we can say something about Terrapin Station, to me that was the centerpiece. Of the it's pronounced cicadas though. Yes, not cicadas, cicadas. <laughs> Jerry said cicadas. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I was really impressed by that. Uh, to me, that was more the centerpiece than the two dark stars, just because it's it's you know an incredibly ambitious chart. It was chart. I don't, you know. <laughs> well, I, I, to, to be clear, I don't think the dark stars were the centerpieces. I think they're the poles of this record. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. It, it, I see what you're saying. Yeah, they are. So, so the traditional and I think that's versus, yeah. I think, but I those think, and those are the two visions of the dead, right? One is one yes. is I think I think more kind of faithful to the original spirit of the band, and the other is here's what it might sound like if you really try to make this uh, more palatable to the modern to modern right. ears. I you think maybe, yeah, maybe some of that, but it's I mean, there's also like a a part of the dead that was into. At experimenting and taking taking sounds and, and like this is true. especially yeah. their very earliest records, you know, oh, like yeah. they really did. That was maybe what shocked me most when I first like decided to to jump in is like hearing the earliest, not the first record. Was it like second or third one where they yeah. had them with the sun? Probably. Yeah, it was, or, it yeah. was like wait, what? Yeah, um, yeah. prepared pianos. <laughs> that, and, and Anthem of yeah. the Sun is to me the standout of their studio albums because there's nothing else in their catalog like it. It really yeah. is. Um, a sort of a trailblazing record. Yeah, and so I, I feel like if you, if that's, I mean, that is a legitimate part of the Dead's catalog, and if that's where you connect the most to the Dead, then then maybe that Flaming Lips thing makes more yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I I didn't think that the Flaming Lips really pulled it off, and I, that's a band that I I really like some of their stuff. I mean, some of it I absolutely love. I they they are a band that really does experiment in a way that very few others do. And there's some in the pure nature of experimentation doesn't always work. I didn't think this was a failure. It just didn't really lift off for me. Mm. Um, and I know that they have the capacity to take a tune and lift it off sometimes. So I, I did just in terms of what I liked more. I thought that the Casper Combs version was more successful. Uh, but you know, I mean, I appreciate that they were trying to do something different with it for, with the with the Lips version. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be hard in the context of a compilation like this to really push something into. Like totally outer space to territory. achieve liftoff. Yeah, because yeah. like there's pressure like to not take up too. You don't want to make the song too long generally yeah. because like you know I don't know like, it could have been a six CD box set. Well, they're, they're, <laughs> right. or, or they could have done they fewer songs. Two, two whole yeah. discs of Dark Star. They could have yeah, done, but fewer I mean for the individual artists. Yeah, yeah I mean yeah. for the individual yeah. artists, I imagine there's some pressure to like not let it go on yeah, too long because you don't want to like sure. take well, other people's space. Well, one of my one of the things I thought is I might have enjoyed, and I I didn't not enjoy this compilation. There was some decent, definitely some decent stuff on here, but I would have liked it more if they had instead of having sixty tracks, maybe had 
40 or 30 mm-hmm. and allow some of them to expand a little, a little bit. That would give a more, it would, it wouldn't, you know, it would give a little bit of a better picture of what the dead were about, which is sometimes shorter songs and sometimes really extended, you know, uh, instrumental yeah, conversations. It's it's weird. I, I go back and forth on that point because on one hand it shows an enthusiasm, whether or not like, look, I mean, the national songs on here for me are the worst. <laughs> but I, I, I just do not like the national. Um, you know, it goes back and forth between a uh, a level of enthusiasm that I admire, like oh, we're so enthusiastic about this, we get fifty nine songs on this, uh, versus it's twenty sixteen and people are just like bigger is better. We gotta go fifty. Nobody's done a fifty nine song compilation <laughs> like this. Yeah, this is by far the longest tribute compilation I've ever like, seen. Certainly, yeah, but yeah. also it's twenty sixteen. People put out nine, eight, seven song records now. Right. So like, to do a, such such a long compilation, right. and, and, it kind of blows my mind, and not in a good or bad way. Just to like, and that's where I'm I don't, at. I'm I don't sort of, really sort of know. Like, huh. Yeah, like I don't <laughs> like, really know why. <laughs> Especially since there are repeat artists, it's not yeah, like yeah, they right, got right. fifty nine artists. That would have I would have like understood it more if it was like they really wanted to get as many names as possible. Yeah. But it there's some. Repeats. There's some, you know. I mean, I guess slightly Quite different. Yeah. Slightly Jenny, different. Jenny Lewis is on like every other track. Yeah, Bonnie which, Prince Billy does three or four. Yeah. yeah, which which gives it like a nice hoot nanny kind of vibe. You know, it just it, it it creates the impression that it's just a bunch of people hanging out and they're sort of trading off instruments and I don't, you know, what I I, I think that's the intent. Whether that works well, or not, they're going to be is, doing that at Eau Claire. Well, wouldn't it, the wouldn't festival? It, no, wouldn't right. it have been a little they're, bit right. doing a performance, and we're not sure. Um, we were actually talking about it because we might go up there, but it's whether or not it's going to be like a two-hour set. I can't see it being much right. like shorter than that. Or it's going to be like one day. And it's got to be like one day. Like to make it worth it for people to go, right? Well, I think the, the festival itself, it's in a part of Wisconsin that's just gorgeous. You got the Bonnie Vare pool and like a bunch of like really great musicians. But yeah, but you think about spending a day in front of this stuff out, like it could be cool, but yeah. it could also be... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love I love that right now you could have um someone over, you could have like a dinner party with people who don't like uh Taylor Swift or the Grateful Dead and play them that Ryan Adams album, uh nineteen eighty nine and then play Day of the Dead for them and basically have people listen to nothing but Taylor Swift and Grateful Dead songs without them knowing it. <laughs> like, I just yeah. think that's the ultimate, like... Well, I was a little surprised Ryan Adams wasn't on this, actually. Yeah, he yeah. should have been. So, yeah. so let's talk about... Yeah. I mean, like, the Cardinals were super, I have a super... Fucking, something they like covered the dead all the time. For a trip uh, up to Baltimore, just uh, downloaded a show from Norva back in uh, early 2000s. Oh, yeah, so. the one on... Uh, it's on Archive, I yeah, think. It yeah, it is. Yeah, My yeah. friend taped it's a really good it. Show. Uh, yeah. Craig uh, Davis taped it, and uh, a stellar version of he's gone i mean they mm-hmm. that was also like well I, I for a while ryan adams was like definitely one of my favorite sure. artists so like I, there were different times when i was fond of different parts of his work but there's definitely a period where i was like the cardinals is clearly his best like <laughs> yeah. the band is just sick and, and then they can just do cardinality too <laughs> yeah <laughs> you but, know who i'm really glad was not asked to be on this let's uh, play pool no, I, I actually, I would, it would have made sense. I would have been okay it with Les Claypool. Um, the Decemberists did Jim, uh, did uh, yeah. Row Jimmy uh, a few years ago. Surprised that or was it Jimmy Row or Row Jimmy? I can never remember which. It's Row Jimmy. Row Jimmy, yeah. and uh, I, I just, I really don't like them. I'm surprised yeah. there wasn't a solo Ben Gibbard track. 
I'm also really <laughs> glad that that's yeah, not well, so, I'm value talk, neutral about, about what that before, track would let's, be. Let's but. talk about this before we get out of here, Dave, because there is a lot of, uh, that could have been on here. This is pure speculation now, but you know, maybe should have to your taste or whatever. A Ben Gibbard track meets the indie cred. Well, like, yeah, I mean, ben, ben, I think Ben Gibbard appreciates the songwriting of of the Dead. I, I, I almost would be. I don't know if I've read a specific interview where he's talked about it. But yeah, I, I mean, he's got to like he's he's a songwritery person, so I'm sure he spent some time with Garcia's, you know, mid seventies. Yeah, songwriting. I, I stuff. am personally shocked that uh, Eric Johnson from Fruit Bats is not on this album. I yeah. think that's I think that's an absolute crime. Uh, if you've ever heard him do a dead song, you're like, yes, this is this is how this should be done. Do you guys know James Jackson Toth? He used to be Wooden Wand. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big dead fan. See? I, I would have expected to see him on here. I expected to see Animal Collective. They're huge. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. yeah. Actually, sure. that, that's sure. the one that I was fans. most surprised they're by. The, you're right. They're the only person to ever successfully license a sample of the dead. Oh, yeah? Which oh, one did really? they do? Um, I, I don't remember. It's like, it's on a... It's on like a track on one of their EPs, and it's like not an ultra prominent sample, but it's they're they're the only ones oh, yeah. who've I'll have to figure been that's able awesome. to do that. Yeah, you're totally <laughs> right. Which, yeah. which I'm not a big fan of theirs, but I would have listened to it because I, like basically as, as when somebody is that openly a fan, you want to hear their interpretation because yeah, be, as different be as we all in this room hear music, yeah. like. It's exciting to see somebody be able to translate that out because I can tell you, Ryan, like how I hear it, and you'd be like, "No, fuck you, that's wrong," or you'd be like, "Yeah, you know." But but it is. But when you see somebody that has the the means to put that out and be like, "No, I don't have to explain it to you now." Yeah, I, I actually am quite a big Animal Collective fan. Um, I have almost all their stuff. I actually think maybe the reason they didn't is they have such a singular sound that it's hard to imagine them covering anybody. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that's the reason mm-hmm. that they didn't do mm-hmm. this. I don't. It's not hard for me to imagine them covering things. Maybe they don't like the idea of covering. Like maybe that's like part of their philosophy is not covering things. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah. But I don't see that it would be hard for them to like take a track and then just run with it in their bizarre. I mean, they, Tim Hecker's on this. Right? Yeah, yeah. Although, yeah. although, right. well, although, right. although was the Tim Hecker? I think was an original piece. Wasn't it? Was it actually a cover? There's a couple of originals on no, here. No, they're yeah. not. They're, well, they're sort of originals. Like the uh, you're talking about the Garcia yeah, Counterpoint. Garcia Counterpoint. Which yeah. which that if you listen to it is taken from a lot of there. There was an album uh, called Infrared Roses, which oh, yeah. I really can't I can't find it anywhere. I have the disc, and I'm gonna ha- I'm actually gonna have to oh. get it out and like rip it into my iTunes because it got named something else they started naming them putting them out stuff like gray folded i saw no gray folded is different i, think. I know yeah but it's it's a series of stuff that doesn't seem to be out there anymore yeah but it was these sound collages and yeah. and that's what he did with the garcia counterpoint hmm. i think the guy um, in your shirt should have been on this too david drada yeah 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 but especially now holy cow he's gotten all like oh dude, but you know he doesn't he doesn't uh yeah, actually, I was like, I was like, like, like no, yeah, yeah, because we were talking about his box of tapes. You guys talked about tapes when he was did, when he was did. on here. And, yeah, and, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, so yeah, he absolutely should have been. Yeah, um, and fuck, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I need to like email him and see what's up. They're like, what's up, man? Um, yeah, yeah, man. And his recent, it, you know, his recent records are more and more psychedelic and stuff. Yeah, absolutely, so he could have taken some interesting yep. risks. I mean, you can only have. 
so many schedules line up. <laughs> so, but, well, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's the schedule because when you have a, th- a thing that's fifty nine songs long, you can't say you can only fit so many people on here. I mean, yeah, uh, right. Fifty nine yeah. different bands is a lot of fucking bands. Well, yeah. it's not fifty nine different bands, but it could re- be. But it's, yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, uh, there's a million things that would play into a compilation like this, and you know, schedules is one of them. Yeah, people having people's connections, people's individual feelings about other individuals that are involved. All mm-hmm. sort. There's like a million reasons. Let's go with the weird names. Uh, the Bob Dylan not being on it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, Sting there, not there being should, on there it. Should, there no. should have been like an adult in the room. Tom Waits, Sting, someone. Brent from Marcellus not being on it. Yes, absolutely. Like, well, because absolutely. that, to, I mean, quite literally is what hooked me on the dead. That that without that a net right. album. You think Grisman is still sitting by the phone somewhere thinking the National David is about to Grisman call David Grisman not being on <laughs> it. Well, but then, see, then, but this is not just a generic tribute album. It's, it's you right. know, you said it's indie. And I know, again, quibbling over what the word indie means. Mm-hmm. There's not really, I mean, okay, Orchestra Baobab clearly isn't indie. Bella Fleck isn't. The, 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 JR. Yeah, so yeah. The, there are yeah. some that aren't, but I think that the, it seems like they wanted to avoid the really heavy hitters like, you know, the Dylans and the Tom Waitses. Well, I think one, maybe one, when you, once you get one of them, then there's like, then right. it's like there's, well, which yeah. one are you going to well, get? It, and there's that, you know, like, again, and 59 and tracks, <laughs> get them all. Well, I don't know if you can get all those people to donate. Expand it to 63. Their, their time. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. You're uh, right. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't in the room. Were you serious when you said Sting? Or was that? Yeah, no, Sting toured with them, and Sting is a, is yeah, a, a big opened, fan. And if them. you look at not uh, obviously not Sting's later output, um, but you mean not, the loot stuff? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> when Ed, Ed and I have had a long running debate over who is the bigger what jerk douchebag, uh, <laughs> Sting or um, Bono or Bono. Sting. <laughs> I think it's Sting. Sting. Yeah. yeah, I know. I lose. I lose. It's, he, he it's finally clearly, confessed. It's clearly Sting. Oh no, Bo- yeah. Bono might be more annoying because he's more omnipresent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can't avoid him, and you're like, oh, shut up, Bono. Yeah. <laughs> but like Sting in the in the Battle of Gordon's Sumner versus uh, Paul, Paul Houston. Houston. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has a problem with the edge, right? Sting has more. <laughs> Sting, Actually, Sting has more musical well, talent than than yeah. Bono, like in terms of being able to play things. Yeah, okay, but, but the, I mean, but then so does like Ingve Malmsteen, and what well, do we think yeah, of him? I, <laughs> is 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 anybody upset that Heim isn't on this album? Hmm. I don't really like them that much, so <laughs> okay. I, not, I, I expected mean, a stronger fine. reaction. But yeah. fine, like, I have nothing against them. I'm like, yeah, happy, yeah. happy for them, but yeah. it's not really my thing, right? So. No. Right, David Lowry. Oh, Amber Van Beethoven. They put Loser on an album 20 oh, years ago. Did. Yeah, that's right. I actually saw them do um, Tusk by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. And I think <laughs> Lindsey Buckingham apparently had was in the audience. This was in San Francisco in about 2002. Yeah. Uh, really good cover of Tusk. So yeah. they can pull off covers. Yeah. Hmm. David Lowry's pretty busy with non-musical stuff lately, or like with well, uh, music advocacy related stuff a lot. Some lately, rage so. issues too. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. sure. Um, I, I'm trying to think of anyone else that I really expected to be on this. I don't. I mean, I don't know. There's not like a ton of people that. Yeah, because you don't want to tap the jam band scene for this, so right? Like that, and that would be although Steve Kimmock could put in enough time that like yeah. I mean, you could what, have just what, done a Wilco record of this. <laughs> 
That's a good. I mean, that, yeah, right, it, right. It well, have, and that's the, a good point. It would have sold, and they would have actually been better because I mean. we were we were talking about that upstairs. It was like Jeff Tweedy uh, after, especially right after Uncle Tupelo going in. Wilco used to make fun of this, and in fact, I saw him at a concert in Richmond at um, what was the radio station down there in the late nineties. I don't. I don't. Which one? A college radio station? Or no, a, it was to me. It was like one hundred one something. Oh, one hundred one point one, like the the some, buzz. Yeah, or, yeah, it or, was the buzz. Yeah. yeah, and they had Wilco there, and this was uh, right before being there, and like they came out and played, and somebody was shouting for them to play a dead song or something, and they did, and then just started cussing out the audience, and <laughs> and then but that same song shows up on here with uh, Bob Weir. That's fine. Well, I mean, you know, one of my they I could I think, have had built to spill. Bill oh, yeah. Spill. Yeah. Yeah. That been, well, yeah. the, you know, and the, we're talking, these bands we're mentioning are the ones that are actually probably more able to engage in a musical conversation, improvising, exploring. I mean, Wilco can definitely do that. You know, they're a very talented bunch of guys. Yeah. They I, usually choose not to these days, but. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. But, you know, if you're, if you're, someone says you're playing some Grateful Dead music, have at it. That's the, that's the venue to do that. And so, you know, and they did, they did it, I think, on this one. I, but more of that is kind of what I wanted to hear a little bit overall. Do you wish John Mayer was on this? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> it depends how you view John Mayer. I, yeah. I have, I have, I mean, I look, have I'm not saying either one is good or bad, but like yeah. you can be yeah. a your body is a Wonderland fan, or you can recognize the fact that the guy's a fucking sick ass blues guitar player. Well, and he was right. in. The dead. And he well, yeah, the dead. Yeah. Right. I, was, I was about to say I've, I've heard zero of the dead and company stuff, but I do know um, that like before your body is a wonderland. Um, my brother was telling me about this kid who has all this music. He's a sick guitarist, and uh, his name was John Mayer. And then like six months later, John Mayer, of course, took yeah. over America. I don't. I don't think anyone um, questions that he's yeah, being, being an a sick guitarist guitar though doesn't really do much for me if the music you're playing isn't that great. Yeah. Um, he, do you not want to run through the halls of your high school <laughs> or, or scream at the top of your lungs? Well, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Yes. Um, I, I'm totally value neutral on John. If he was, I think that probably would have hurt the compilation if he was on it more than it would have yeah. helped. Like, You're really neutral on John Mayer? I don't really l- like his music that much sure. for the most part, but I mean, what do you hate? Is there something you, music you just hate? Probably. Bruce I mean, Hornsby. I'm sure. oh, Hornsby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you just don't want to go on record saying because you yeah. might meet them. Sorry. Someday. Yeah. So well, it also depends on when you're talking to me. If I'm if I'm in like like listen mode, then I'm pretty open to most things. Mm-hmm. If I'm in like like making something mode then mm-hmm. i think if you're making something you have to have arbitrary prejudices yeah. against a lot of things mm-hmm. um otherwise it's you how right. do you make any choices yeah but um mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's not I, I i try to stay open to the idea of something maybe being good <laughs> well okay let me let me put it <laughs> was there any track on this this compilation that you hated well, I I think there are ones that bummed me out that I didn't that I didn't really like. I don't I don't have strong enough feelings about the dead songs to yeah. like to be uh-huh. like, oh, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I was bummed out. How dare out. you fucked up <laughs> <laughs> with the cream puff war thing? Right, <laughs> which is which is cool. It's a it's great that there's a take like that on the album. Yeah, but I I actually I like I said earlier was was bummed about the uh, um was it Lucius track the Lucius <laughs> track be, not not because not because I didn't think that they should have a song on the record just like that particular song i i, I was like hoping for a more uh, like instrumentally take on that particular song right and for me it was an, it, it it was an interesting take because i i 
they're a band that I have not. I don't think they're as developed as people th- give them credit for. Okay, and something like this. I mean, everybody has whether or not you're a dead fan or not. I think everybody has a relationship with that song. It's out there. It's mm-hmm, like you hear right. it, whether or not you. I mean, it's a staple in classic radio for the mm-hmm. most part, and. I enjoyed it because it was a little outside of what they normally do, mm-hmm. uh, and look, they can fucking sing. Sure, no, I think so they, they did. nailed that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they would be perfect for like a Fleetwood Mac cover compilation. Absolutely. But <laughs> Ooh, uh, is that next? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, pro- Fleetwood Mac has been in now for so long. That I'm almost wondering, are they is their revival over? Actually, because yeah. like they've yeah, been they're, like they're back to being uncool. Like I don't know. I mean, which, have which, they made which they've means, gone over the arrows? I would the say arrows Peter Green's back no, in the it, band, but, it, no, no, no. but but like it means Huey Lewis is due, guys. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good. down no, for that. Huey, Huey Lewis is already on the other side of the Aerosmith trough. Oh, I think because of American Psycho. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, damn it. Uh, last question before we get out of here. So, given that this is hopefully going to be an effective, uh, effective like method to raise money for this thing. Uh, we'll see how effective, and, and hopefully I'll be able to get some numbers to put in the show notes. Uh, do we want to see more people doing stuff like this, or do we want to see more innovative ways of of representing? Because, look, catalog is big business in, in streaming now, in sales. It overtook new music sales, yeah. period. So people want this old stuff. Right. And if people want it, and you have a cause, and you can like, get all these people together to do this, like, you know, it's been done... Over the years, obviously at infinitum, but but this is a, this is a little bigger and and like so and and so just by we, virtue of it being say the Walkmen, their version of Ripple is going to be yeah. like the second result that Spotify will give you in perpetuity. Yes, right. Might yes. be my least because favorite version the, on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the way. yeah. But but are we, and that's, are we talking at all about Red Hot in particular or just in well, general? Red Hot j- just in, just in general since... because the concept of like and this goes even down to like a DIY thing. It's like you have. You look at uh, over at IOTA, they do shows like they pick years of music to do stuff. And IOTA is a club in DC if you're listening outside of DC. Um, and uh, and they do tribute albums to raise money for stuff. Should we be seeing more of this? Even though, even though it's been going on, the scale of this is it's fucking huge. Yeah. And well, I don't think that's new though. I, no, it's not new, but I think the scale is actually new. I think that big for, not for Red Hot. I mean, they've had huge compilations. Have they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Hot, had like, huge hip hop stuff in the early nineties that like, oh, you're, was you're right. was really big. Hmm. See, this is where um, it pays to do my research. Yeah, for serious. I mean, man. It, I, I think that any I honestly have a very simple view of this. I think anything that raises money for a good cause is a good thing. Yeah. Um You think killing children <laughs> if it raises money for a good cause? Wow. It's messed up, dude. Yeah. Sizzling sizzling yeah. hot takes. That was a burn, man. Man. You heard it here uh, first. Andres favors yeah. killing children. Well, now, I, I, look, I wouldn't call the Walkman's cover of Ripple to be killing children exactly. <laughs> I know that that's what you were getting at here. Um, do, and, you, do you know about the first, like the first Red Hot tribute though? Like the first one they did in 1990 had Nana Cherry, yeah, Nana, no, I had Fine Young Cannibals, yes. Iggy Pop, and, and then they did Red Hot and Jazz, Tom Waits, David I, Byrne, mm-hmm. Annie Lennox, U2, mm-hmm. Katie Lang. He's not reciting that from memory. No, I'm not reciting <laughs> it from memory. I'm look, I looked it up because... Uh, don't spoil the magic, because, Andres. <laughs> I just, uh, like, in comparison, this is seems a lot smaller. Than, well, it, like, I, I guess my point was it seems to have gone away. 
ben- no. like, oh, like, 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 like these like, big benefit these projects. big benefit yeah. things. I mean, if you okay. want, if you want to go to a, a more macro scale, the idea of something like Live Aid, we just don't right. do that anymore. Well, well, the Live Aid, Live was, Aid was, was huge. It was a failure. Yeah, it was a huge logistical nightmare. Maybe, but we all still remember it. Well, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's <laughs> not. I, I mean, we we are the world was a failure, and Live yeah. Aid was in a lot of ways a failure. What about the the remake of We All Are the World for the Haitian Earthquake? I don't know. That came out. It well, was the like Haitian, going on. Well, yeah. there was the. I mean, the Haitian earthquake. There was the Red Cross's total failure in Haiti. So yeah. I don't know if that was connected. I, I don't. Yeah. Remember I don't think We Are the World was the reason for that. No, no, no. I don't know if that it's, benefited the Red Cross. But I, I, but I think that's a huge. That's a hugely important point about the nature of um, nonprofit and kind of foundation type work and 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 just you know assistance, uh, um, foundational work in general. Um, we're not. We're a few months removed from like the Wounded Warrior expose, which is that basically yeah. eighty-five cents on the dollar you give to that goes to pay for parties that are, you know, lavish and that make working for that company great, and very little of it goes toward the people it's designed to help. So, yep. so to the extent that something like this, you know, I don't. I've not done my <clears throat> due diligence and research on on the Red Hot organization the way I have for like Doctors Without Borders or something, but. Uh, but to the extent that some of this money can can go to help people, as Andre said, it's 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 a good thing. If there's if there ends up being some horrible mismanagement fiasco that involves this this organization, obviously, like everyone's gonna get everyone's gonna get dragged down. Yeah, I don't. Um, so to be clear, I don't have any cynical views about Red Hot. I, no, I, no, no, I, no, no, I, and or or benefits or nonprofits in general. But I think when you start talking about things with the scope. Of Live Aid, yeah. then lots of problems happen. So <laughs> I, yeah, I, mean, I think yeah, the problem so, with like that it was it was the, there's one thing about simply raising money, you know, mm-hmm. putting out a compilation can do that, but you know, establishing some huge, you know, transatlantic concert series that that's a logistical mm-hmm. something that that probably simply being a member of a rock band you may not be. So, the so best maybe not a best case scenario that I brought yeah. up. <laughs> well, yeah, and that and, and that's not to say I don't think there should be more benefits. Yeah. I think maybe it's good if they are on a generally speaking on a manageable scale. Yeah. So this, um, yeah. I mean, like I've put out benefit compilations. Yeah. I, I like I'm a fan. I think in in general, as long as the person organizing the benefit comp has like pretty direct connection to the the charity or like knows people um that work there and knows exactly how the money's going to right. flow and what it's going to do and and is able to keep everyone involved and aware of that including people who might buy as well as people who might be part of it then great but when you end up with like huge we are the world things and no one really knows exactly what's happening and then yeah. it gets too muddled to be a pot like a net gain necessarily yeah i don't know cosine <laughs> so so so, so let, let, let's propose this we know mumford and sons has all the money <laughs> we know they donated studio time for this uh you know maybe this group can go out they say they're only doing it once at eau claire and obviously schedules are dependent uh maybe something like this if it's not this something else do events like around the east coast or around the country uh sure I think there was a period where, like, underground rock music was more dedicated to doing benefit there type was. things. And then there was a, a simultaneous um, shift in terms of 
under rock, underground rock musicians being able to achieve mainstream success and at the same time as that money being pulled out of the music industry yeah. so there was a lot of careerism and a lot of panicked careerism yep. that maybe did not uh, align very well with the idea of doing benefits because there's a lot of panicked people and a lot of people with different understandings of what being a like underground musician or whatever meant. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but ho- I think hopefully now it's coming back around and there's like people who've achieved a certain degree of success yeah. who, can, who are like on this comp who, who should be able to do more things like this more regularly. And then maybe that, uh, you know, it's, maybe there's a top down sort of thing where other yeah, people decide be great. to. Because, because uh, well. despite my disdain for the national, I have to give all credit to the Destiner brothers. They, they, they had no yeah. reason, no reason to do this. None. Sure. Right. And and when and they have achieved a level where they are comfortable of making music, they have a living and and doing this. And this is giving. This is in a re, very real way giving back. And they got people on board to do it, which yeah. is here, here. well, co-branding is huge now. So yeah. it's only a matter. Of, you know, it's 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 like nonprofits need to jump on the co-branding train a little bit more, maybe, or or bands need to jump on with nonprofits more. I don't, I don't yeah. know. There are also. I will say there are also fairly well-known bands that do a lot of beneficial things that they don't talk to the press about. So it's back to Bono, like Prince. back to Bono, Prince. Prince. But even even smaller yeah. bands like even like Tune Yards, yeah, and um, the Water Project. There, yeah, there's just like there are, there are a number of bands who are try to just not make that like front and center about you know weird it's a weird thing to promote how good of a person you are you know so it's like <laughs> sure like sometimes well, the, i mean the thing lost. about this is you have to promote it in order to get the money flowing in in the first place yeah, yeah right. well you, yeah. that's the thing is this is an external thing that you can promote it's harder yeah. sometimes to say like yeah i did like i like tune yards did a commercial for someone mm-hmm. licensed for a commercial and then use that money all for a charitable cause and it's like harder to like say hey yeah. look at this thing that i did right that was good right than, so, than to say hey buy this comp it'll help yeah and i th- and, and i think what's like there's a there's something that's really uh, antiquated about this which is the idea that like oh let's bring all these people together and record music <laughs> and put it out for sale <laughs> yeah because people love to sure. buy music <laughs> right, right <laughs> which right. is which is clearly not so like a benefit show like you were saying kevin would yeah. probably would probably have a more immediate impact um, or even fit, you know, doing some creative licensing and just monetizing the crap out of your existing stuff and then giving it to Red right. Hot might have had a bigger impact. I think there's 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 another la- layer of like uh, symbolism here, which has to do with um, you know indie rock and and the Grateful Dead and and you know this sort of like bringing together the the uh, the gathering of the tribes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, which, a meeting uh, of the five families. Money. <laughs> Money can still be made off of music. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's, it's right, right, right. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not nearly as, like, it used to be that, like, oh, this is, like, how can we help? Oh, well, we make money selling records, so let's sell records for something. Sure, you know, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I agree. I yeah. agree. But I think these, uh, the people involved in this are also pretty, pretty well aware of the current way that music is yeah, monetized. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. that plays into the way this project i mean they've released 10 singles from this yeah yeah right. they're gonna so, continue right. to yeah right. so i mean they know they understand that it's not an 
album that they're selling as much as a collection yeah. of yeah. songs. It's, Excellent it's point. getting people on board to be like, hey, you're doing a good thing. We're going to indulge this. Uh, we're going to talk like schmucks like me into getting you guys down here to talk about it for like an hour and a half. Yeah. I mean, and which is, you know, awesome. So You, you edit this, right? Like it'll be nah. nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is going to be a long Sorry. one, kids. Sorry, <laughs> listeners, if you're still there. Nah, they are still there. Um, on, on, on that note, uh, Ryan, thank you for coming down. Good to finally meet you in person. Andres, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Eduardo, we'll just, uh, you can hide in the bathroom or whatever. I'll be waiting uh, for the next episode. All right, man. Thanks again to Andres and uh, Ryan. You know, it, was a, uh, it was a super fun conversation. I hope those guys come back soon. Um, you know, as, as you heard, we, we did get off into a little of, of all our experience of the dead, but I think that's sort of the point of this album. Um, you know, fans are going to uh, flock to it just to, out of curiosity. Um, these songs are, uh, they, they, they hold up, um, most of them at least. Um, and uh, so it's always interesting to see what another group wants to do with it, even if it's a radical take on it. Um, and then, you know, new fans, new people coming to this, might, maybe you like Lucius, and you see that they have a track on here, and then you hear Uncle John's band, and you're like, well, fuck, that's an amazing song. Where did that come from? Uh, you know, so all in all, uh, the project is a complete win in my book. And uh, hopefully it'll be a complete win in your book. Uh, so that is our podcast for this week. And, uh, you know, as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Mixcloud now. You can uh, listen to us on Google Play. You can listen to us on Stitcher, as always. It's been on Stitcher for a long time. Uh, if you like what you hear, uh, you know, subscribe, leave a, leave a star, leave a review, or just uh, email us. Uh, if you have comments about this, you know, there's always the little comment section below each of these posts. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. That's at ChunkyGlasses or at ChunkyGlasses. Uh, we're also on Facebook. You can do it there. Uh, or you can just email Eduardo. Uh, I don't think he'll mind. Just Eduardo at ChunkyGlasses.com. Uh, and, and, you know, him being sort of a uh, dead expert, a mid-level dead wizard, uh, you know, he, he might have some really good information for you. So if you're wondering about something you heard in here and you're like, ah, I want to know more about that and can't find it, uh, hit him up. That's what we're here for. Um, so that's it. Uh, I guess it's time to get out of here. So uh, we will talk to you in a few short days. In fact, on Monday... Um, we're going to be uh, putting out an interview with the lovely and amazing Laura Gibson that we taped a while back. She came over here, we cooked her and her band breakfast, and then we had a nice chat. It was, uh, it was lovely. Not to overuse a word. Uh, so that's coming for you on Monday. Uh, until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. We'll see you later.
<laughs> <laughs> Kenobi.